Remember the Orson Welles radio drama and then the movie War of the Worlds where the Martians try to conquer the Earth? They actually start winning and then mysteriously they die. And it turns out they die from what? The common cold to which they have no immunity. Science fiction, yeah? Well, what about reality? What's to prevent just the opposite from happening? I mean, a a space probe returning from space to Earth, bringing foreign microbes to our planet. I bring this up because next month, NASA's OSIRIS-REx probe will bring the first sample of an asteroid back to Earth. The capsule is projected to land in Utah's desert, and scientists hope the sample of asteroid dust on board will help them get a snapshot of our solar system maybe four billion years ago. But is there any risk to bringing back material from space to Earth when we don't entirely know what's in it? Oh, oh, let me give you the flip side. What about when we send missions to other planets or moons like Mars or Europa? Could we accidentally contaminate them with Earth microbes? Here with me now is someone who thinks a lot about this question and questions like this, Dr. Nick Bernardini is NASA's Planetary Protection Officer based at NASA's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Science Friday. Thanks for having me, Ira. Thank you for coming. Let's talk about a Sirius uh, Rex projected to return to Earth next month. As far as we know, there's no life there, but how do we ensure that anything from that asteroid does not contaminate us? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So uh, for planetary protection, we have a whole series of international scientists and engineers that think about this on a regular basis uh, called Committee of Space Research. Um, And so they put forth uh, international guidelines um, and current uh, current, uh, understandings together and frameworks for uh, what exactly is the type of potential science um, that can be conducted on these target bodies, as well as um, the type of uh, potential for life on these target bodies as we go um, uh, as, as we go explore the solar system. And so we know that um, uh, OSIRIS-REx is what we refer to as an unrestricted Earth return sample. So this is uh, of lowest likelihood of, of life um, uh, or harboring life. Um, and so. We uh, actually don't have any restrictions for bringing that uh, asteroid material back, uh, much like um, you know comets or, or, or uh, yeah, much like our, our comets um, and, and other asteroids uh, that we would bring back. Hmm. How do we know, Dr. Benardini? How do we know what to look for if it if it's yeah. something we're not used to? Yeah, so this is exactly one of the conversations we have all the time. Uh, What is life? Uh, What do we we think about life in the unknown, unknown space? Um, And so uh, we we have a lot of conversations uh, in the science community and international community about, um, you know, sample safety assessment. Um, Really, what would we look for with life? Um, And and that gets down to, you know, understanding uh, what, life looks like from a physical or molecular perspective, uh, what it looks like from an organic perspective. And so we, we use all of these clues that we can about life as we know it to infer about potential of, of life on other planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, on Mars, for example, we see those signs, um, but on uh, uh, you know other asteroids such as o- OSIRIS-REx and, and Bennu, we, we, we don't really, we, we don't see that. Um, and so we're able to make those um, uh, guidelines uh, more 
unrestricted versus having them more restricted like we would for our Mars sample return mission. Yeah, we, we have been exploring space since, what, the, the 1950s. Have we improved in our space exploration techniques so that our spacecraft do not unintentionally bring back alien microbes such as on OSIRIS-REx? Yeah, so we've definitely improved um, both in our obviously engineering capabilities as well as our science knowledge. Um, and all of those directly feed into our policies, a lot of our approaches that we take. Uh, for example, um, our understanding of, of clean room technologies and how we make sure that um, we can leverage these clean rooms which control particulates and organic molecules. Um, so when we go to life on other planets, we don't inadvertently detect our own life because we built the spacecraft dirtier than what we thought. Um, that's just one of the examples of, of the types of advancements that we're using nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I started off mentioning a, a science fiction movie and sci-fi movies we see, in them we see extreme examples of what could happen when an alien pathogen infects Earth. People think this is not real because it's just something they see in the movies, but you think of this every day. Absolutely. Um, uh, we don't think of it in terms of, you know, uh, Hollywood or, or kind of the sci-fi angle, um, but really more of it a, a scientific and evidence-driven um, perspective in that, you know, on Mars itself, we, we know that, you know, for example, the, 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 the samples that we're collecting right now are going to be lower likelihood to harbor life than, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a deeper depth or cave type of sample. Um, so, so we have these scientific inferences that allow us to help develop that risk posture for thinking about what we need to do to ensure that the public is safe and that our um, spacecraft are clean when we go uh, to visit other planets. Let's talk about that visiting other planets because one planet we visited a lot is, is Mars. And I remember going way back into the 70s, um, Viking. Were these, were these planets, were these probes pristine when they landed on the planet? So um, that's a common misnomer is that, you know, is that we send sterile or clean spacecraft. Um, matter of fact, uh, we can't given, um, you know, the fact that we humans have life and the rooms that we assemble and test and launch operations all um, have um, some bit of, of um, biological uh, presence. Um, although that's not saying that it's completely dirty. We, we highly control these. Um, we're talking our spacecraft are less than half a million uh, organisms per per spacecraft. Um, that's compared to, uh, think about uh, perhaps a probiotic that you might take on a regular basis. That probiotic is 40 times more organisms than what we allow on our spacecraft um, to go to Mars. Yeah, but we, we when we went to the moon, the Apollo astronauts left an enormous amount of human poop on the moon, didn't they? So, yeah, so that's um, cer certainly something that we have to mitigate uh, in thinking about when we introduce humans um, is what we do with, you know, human waste streams and what the microbial transport could be just because of those humans being present. Mm -hmm. And let's imagine an astronaut gets sick in space. Just sky with me right now. How sure, do scientists sure. determine, how do they determine if someone who gets sick in space, it's because of in-flight sickness, a pathogen from Earth, or, or maybe a planet, some other pathogen that snuck in? How, how would you know that? Yeah, so, so that's exactly the type of work that we're doing right now with our, our knowledge gaps and planning for Moon to Mars. Um, and so, you know, we have the luxury right now on the International Space Station that if an astronaut gets sick, 
you know, we have several days we can get that astronaut back down to Earth for medical attention. Um, you know, once we start talking about lunar um, surface missions uh, in the upcoming years, um, you know, some of that may be upwards of a week before we can get that astronaut back to Earth. And then even Mars is, is particularly more um, time-consuming from orbital dynamics perspective. We're talking upwards of 600-plus days, um, depending on when that astronaut were to get sick. And so we have to think about that a little bit different. Um, than what we do currently with our International Space Station astronauts. Do, do you have special testing kits that would quickly diagnose that? Yeah, so that's what we're looking at uh, developing uh, with the Office of Chief Health and Medical um, at NASA. And so we need to, you know, kind of work through um, from a planetary protection perspective and a built environment perspective if it's, um, you know, a, a human associated organism or if it's something from Mars. And so we're working to fill those knowledge gaps and, and to develop a framework for that kind of decision making, um, you know, within this next decade. One question uh, that I always get, and I've been talking about this for quite some time, is from people who do not think we should be exploring other planets. They think we should be focusing on the problems here on Earth. It's, it's, a, it's a good point, given all of our problems with climate change. Why do you think we should explore other planets? And why should we be so concerned about bringing our environment over there? Well, I think from a, uh, a perspective of, of going and exploring, I think obviously it's human nature to go explore. Um, and, and I think from you know having other planets and being able to have that curiosity, um, I, I think that's essentially inherent in our human DNA. Um, I, there also is a lot of um, uh, potential spin-offs um, that we've seen uh, throughout the years with NASA products that have that we might need for space that put into um, you know our daily lives and impact Earth. Um, you know, I'm thinking Velcro, also um, perhaps uh, a lot of our environmental life support systems that we have for water cleaning coming up. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, cross-pollination and cross-potential for, yeah. um, you know, the technologies to be fed forward into uh, improving our Earth life um, that, that we see on a regular basis. Do you, so. think, do you think we need a better technology for sterilizing, to use a better word, the, the craft we, spe we send out, especially for going to Europa or some other place? Um, so I don't think it's necessarily the, the sterilization. I think it's more along the lines of how do we keep it clean? That's really the hardest job that we have. Um, you know, so whether that's uh, thinking about um, different types of bio barriers or, or protective shields after we keep it clean, um, perhaps it's um, uh, more stringent uh, types of, of clean processing. Mm. Um, and and we've, we're leveraging heavy right now on, um, you know, the medical sterilization industry uh, with high heat, vapor hydrogen peroxide, um, you know, uh, solvent types of cleaning methods, uh, very similar to, um, you know, med device, for example, or, or pharmaceuticals. Yeah, we look, uh, we look forward to talking more with you and learning more about this. Thank you, Dr. Bernardini, for being with us. Welcome. Thank you. Nick Benardini is the Planetary Protection Officer at NASA. We have to